we're learning for the Fuash Lema Hayasara Batsimcha, and we're in Ki Tetzeh. Ki Tetzeh Lamelhamal Oyebecha. So we're talking about when you're going out to war against your enemy. That she says, What type of war are we talking about? He calls it Milchemet Harishut. There's two types of wars. There's a war that it's a Mitzvah to fight. For example, the uh, war fighting against the seven nations that we had to get rid of and throw them out of Eretz Yisrael. That's called a Milchemet Mitzvah, or let's say fighting Amalek. It's a Milchemet Mitzvah. But then there's voluntary uh, wars that are optional wars. Let's say, let's say we want to uh, expand the, uh, the land and so on and so forth. So we're talking about a optional war that we are uh, that we're fighting, and now what happens? And you're going to have uh, captives. Part of the war is you take captives. Now, if you never heard this parasha before, it's going to be a little shocking to some of you. But the Torah says, you're going to see in the captives a pretty girl, even if she's married. She's a goya. You're going to have a desire for her. So Torah says that you will take her for a wife. Now, what does this mean over here? The Torah understands human nature. And the Torah understands that a person has drives towards, uh, towards bed. And if a Kadosh Baruch Hu, uh, does not allow the man to take this girl, he's going to take her in a forbidden way. Uh, so therefore, the Torah comes along and says that he's allowed to go with her. Because the Torah knows that a soldier in the war, if his desire gets to him and he's not going to be able to take this girl, so he's going to uh, make a uh, make a isur. He's going to take her in a uh, forbidden manner. So therefore, the Torah allows the soldier to go with this uh, lady. Now, nothing good's going to come out of it. I, I guarantee you that, as she says. That she says that uh, even if he goes with her and marries her, which the Torah is allowing it, uh, she has to go through a process. We're going to see the process in a minute. But at the end of the day, he's going to, he's going to come to hate her. And uh, at the end of the day, he's going to have a rebellious child from her, a ben sorero more, and nothing is going to come out of it. But the Torah says if he has a desire, he can't be with her. Now, the question is, what does she have to go through first before he's allowed to be with her? So the Torah says, bring the captive uh, into the house. So first you have to shave her hair off. Uh, you let her uh, nails, fingernails grow. Uh, again, we're trying to make her repulsive. We're trying to make her ugly so the guy will lose his desire. I guess in the olden days, long nails was considered repulsive. Today, I guess something changed about that. But nonetheless, uh, and she will take off her garments of uh, captivity because again, these ladies when they soldiers came into war they would wear very nice clothes in order to attract so she has to take off those pretty clothes that she was wearing 
the Goyim send out their daughters in order to seduce the Jewish soldiers. Uh, again, in order to commit, you know, Averot. Uh, so the Pasuk says she removes her, uh, her nice clothes and she will sit in the house she cries for her mother and father because uh, she now is in captivity. So she cries. Uh, and therefore, it must, and this must be in his house. So every day when he comes home from work, he sees this lady now long, with no hair, long nails, dressed in, uh, you know, schmatas. Uh, she's crying all day long. And finally, he's gonna. Tr- the goal is for the guy to say, "Get out of here. Go, 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 go back to uh, you know to where you came from." So Torah is trying to, you know, separate the guy from the goya. Again, uh, the Torah allows him to go with her one time, according to many opinions. But now the question is, they don't want it to continue. So, okay, the Torah says, "Listen, if if we're not gonna let him do it, he's gonna make it isur." So therefore, Dura says, let him do it. Okay, now he did it. Now the question is, he wants to continue, so therefore they make her go through this process over here. Now the person says, she stays there for a month. And now, what does it say? Kedesh she writes, Bat Yisrael semecha vizu atzeba, Bat vizu menavil. Right, they want the, uh, uh, the Jewish girls that he'll see happy and this Goya is crying, the Jewish girls will be pretty and she's ugly. So it's in order to create a separation between him and this girl. But then the Pasuk says that if even after 30 days he still wants to be with her, all right, if, if, if it didn't uh, change his mind, he could be with her and then becomes his, uh, his wife. This is called uh, the Eshet Yefatoa. That's the name of this uh, type of girl over here. But after 30 days, I'd say, so you don't want her. If you cannot sell her, you're not allowed to put her to work. Uh, because you, you, you tortured her, which means you afflict her on there, which she goes, uh, she goes free. So the Torah is predicting that we hope in the end you will send her. We hope that that will be the, uh, you know, the, the the final result. And you're not allowed to let her do work for you. She cannot serve you, etc. Fine. Now we have another perasha. Okay, a guy has two wives. In the olden days, he was allowed to have two wives. One wife is the one that he loves, and one is, he doesn't love her so much. And he has children. He has a child from the one that he loves, and he has a child from the one that he doesn't love. But the bechor, the older one, comes from the wife that he doesn't uh, favor. So now this guy wants to give the double portion to the other kid, because the other kid is the son of the beloved wife, but he's not allowed to do that. The firstborn is the firstborn, no matter which wife it comes from. So the Pasuk says, that the the firstborn will be born to the hated wife. When he's going to bequeath his children the inheritance, and we know the firstborn gets double, 
לא יוכל לבקר את בן הערובה על פני הבן הסרועה. He's not allowed to give the, uh, the mother who is uh, uh, the lo- beloved mother uh, uh, her child double portion. You have to be f- honest. Who's the real firstborn? The boy from the Sinua, the, 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 the child from the hated wife. So he gets the firstborn. He is, bottom line, the first of his uh, strength. So um, that's, uh, that's the very, very um, important lesson. We know. There's a big question over here. So bottom line, you're not allowed to change firstborns. So then the question they have is, how did Yaakov Abinu change the firstborn? Because his firstborn was Reuven. From Leah, and he switched the firstborn, and he took it away from uh, 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 Leah's child, and he gave it to Yosef. Yosef was from Rachel. I mean, something is exactly the case. He went to the Ben Hasinua, and he took the Bechor from the Ben Hasinua, and he gave it to the Ben Ahuba. What are we going to answer this about? That is a very strong question. I mean, Yaakov Avinu has to keep the Torah, obviously. So how are we going to uh, how are we going to explain it? Unless you say as well, before the Torah was given, before the Torah was given, they could do uh, have more leniencies to they're not bound by the law before the law was given. Right, that's one interpretation. Or you could say that that's only talking about that maybe you cannot do this. After the father dies, you can't change it. But when the father's alive, maybe he can, uh, he can do it. Because Yaakov Abin was still alive when he did it. Maybe there's a difference between if he dies or not. Or maybe we can say that Reuven forgave it. Reuven said, you know, he wants a kapara, and therefore he, he gave it over. He had to say something in order to make Yaakov Abin not in, uh, in, uh, in transgression of this law. Okay, there's one more law that we learned. So the first law we learned tonight is the the that's the lady Goya that the soldier finds in war. He could go with her and then he's got to bring her home and go through this process in order to try to break it up. Second law we learned is the two boys that are born. You must be honest with the firstborn and give the firstborn even if it's to the wife that you don't like. Fine. The Pasuk says, that the inheritance is uh, given to whatever the father had. That she learns over here a lesson. That the firstborn does not get double. In that which is fit to come into the estate after the father's death. Only what the father has in his possession at the time of death. That's what he gets double portion. But if stuff is coming in later on from properties, he doesn't get only things that are in hand. Then he gets double, but not things that are uh, didn't come to uh, uh, that are not in the father's possession at the time of death. That's a very important law. When it comes to the firstborn, only things that the father has in his possession at the time of his death. Okay, now we're talking about a law where you have a child who is a wayward child. He went off to Derek. Uh, he's a more. He's a uh, he doesn't listen. He refuses to listen to his parents. Well, we got a lot of those today. 
Now the Pasuk says, Enenu Shomaya Bekola Bibeonimu, that's not his mother and father. They rebuke him, and they warn him. They go to the judges, they give him whip, they lash him, they tell him, well, what's going on over here? And he doesn't listen. So uh, what does he do, this kid? She says, what is he, he's, he's rebellious. He steals money from his father and mother, and he goes, eats meat, and he drinks wine. So he's a guzzler, he's a meat eater, he's, you know, he's a, he enjoying a good life. But today we would call him an addict. You know, he's, he's addicted. So the Torah says, and he doesn't listen to his parents. The parents will grab him. They bring him to the gates of the city, to the Betin. They tell the rabbis of the Betin, our son is a rebel. And then listen to us. He's a guzzler and he is a, uh, a glutton. Now what they do to the kid. Instead of putting him in, uh, you know, uh, in West Point or in the penitentiary, they stone him to death. Wow. Now, why are they stone him to death? So that she says something amazing. The Torah sees that this child is on a wrong path. He's, uh, he likes money. He likes good life. And what's going to happen? One day, he's not going to be able to afford this lifestyle that he uh, is enjoying. And he's going to end up robbing somebody from money. He's going to start standing on the road and robbing money. And what's going to happen? The person that gets robbed is going to defend himself. And then this Ben Surim is going to kill him in order to take his money. So therefore, the Torah is projecting that the Ben Surim one day is going to be a murderer. And therefore, the Torah says, kill him now before he becomes that uh, Rasha that he's destined to be. And therefore, they stone him, not for what he's doing now, but for what he is going to do, which really is a big question in itself, because normally the Torah only punishes the person in the present. Now you're punishing a person for what he's going to do before he did it. So really has to have to understand why the Ben Surinam is different. Normally we say God only judges a person as he is. But the Ben Surinam is an exception. You're really judging him not for what he is now, although he's guilty now. He's not guilty of, of, of getting stoned to death. He stole some money. He ate some meat. Every, every kid that eats uh, a Dalmatico steak, we're going to throw him off a building now because he has a little uh, desire to have some wine. But the, this kid over here, the Torah says, we see that he's on a bad path, and it seems that putting yourself on a bad path is guilty. Even before you get to the end of the road. Why would you put yourself on the road? You know, wh- wh- Why are you driving 100 miles uh, uh, on the road knowing that you won't be able to stop? That, that's the sin itself. Now, when, when the guy ends up running over somebody, he's going to tell the judge, but I couldn't stop. It's not my fault. The judge will say, we know you couldn't stop. That's the problem. Why did you put yourself in a position that you couldn't stop? And that's the problem of the Ben Surinamune. Why did you put yourself in a road that can lead? So that's a sin. So he's not innocent, the Ben Surinamune. He's guilty because already he's in a trajectory uh, to go to a to bad place. So the Torah says, let him die now when he's still uh, relatively innocent before he gets to the major crime. Uh, we learned over here that they would make an announcement in the court uh, so everybody would hear. They would say, so-and-so is getting stoned because he was a ben They make an announcement because they want everybody to you know, learn the lesson of what we do to uh, this type of uh, you know, rebellious, rebellious child. Okay, we learn for the first time.
and we learned a few interesting parashiyot. We'll pick this up with Hashem tomorrow night. Laila Tov, Maslacha Rabban. We're learning for the Puah Shirema Hayasara, Matzimham. We're up to after 21, 21, So let's say there's a person that was committed to death sentence. Okay. And Vihumat, uh, and the court puts him to death. Vitalita Oto. Uh, so the Torah comes along and says that even if he gets punished by one of the four punishments, one of the four punishments, for example, of Bedin is stoning. The difference is, let's say he desecrated Shabbat, so the punishment for desecration of Shabbat is stoning, death by stoning. But the law is that even after they stone him, they hang on a tree. And the Torah comes along and says that there's a special mitzvah to hang, uh, to hang the uh, perpetrator, the Mahalil Shabbat, the person that's guilty of Sekilah, to hang him on a, uh, a, a tree. And then what? Torah warns us, We're not allowed to leave his body hanging on the tree overnight. We must bury him that same day. That she says that since human beings are created in the image of God, it would be a um, an insult to God that humans that are created in His image for the body just to be, you know, hanging for uh, an elongated uh, period of time. So therefore, the Torah says you hang him. I guess just to make a, a statement that people should see it, so they'll get scared not to make. And then by sunset. Says uh, he is um, he is put to uh, to burial. So that she gives a mashal, a parable, to two twins that are identical twins, and one became a king, and one became a, a bandit. So they caught the bandit, and they hung him. But everybody thought the king was hung because he's an identical twin. So therefore. By hanging the bandit, it speaks uh, insult against the king. So similarly, since humans are created in the image of God, so if they're going to be hung on the tree overnight, so it speaks to an insult, Hasbun Shalom of God. So the Torah says, hang him, but by sunset, you got to bring him down. And now we get to the next thing. Lo Let's say a person sees uh, the ox of his brother or uh, the of his brother and uh, it's the dahim it's lost it's uh, went astray and uh, you you don't want to get involved with it so you want to turn away from it and just leave it Torah says no you're not allowed to do that this is the Torah law of returning lost objects that means do not uh, look at the object with intention to turn away from it. On the contrary, you have to um, deal with it, even though it might be an inconvenience. Now they have to tend to this lost object, but the Torah is coming to tell you, besides a few exceptions, for example, the, you know, the Torah tells us if it's a Kohen 
and the lost object is in a cemetery. So the Kohen does not have to go into the cemetery in order to retrieve the lost object. There's other exceptions as well. As a, as a general rule, Torah does say that one should deal with uh, lost objects of their, of their turn into them. Let's say you don't know who it belongs to. So bring it, bring it into your house. And keep it until your brother seeks it. Now, uh, the Torah, the Rashi comes along and says, well, obviously you're not going to give it to him until he seeks it. Yeah? If he doesn't seek it, how are you going to give it to him? Why does it have to come along and say, don't give it to him until he seeks it? So Rashi comes along and says that you have to inquire of him to make sure that he's not a liar. Which is, if a guy comes along and says, oh, yeah, I heard you found the lost object, it's mine. You don't just give it to him. You have to obviously interrogate him and ask him questions just to verify that he's... Uh, so therefore, you know, it says give it to him after, uh, after he, he asks for it, but asking over here also means and after you do your uh, interrogation. Okay. And then it says, you give him back the lost object. However, we have a, uh, a, a, a situation over here Let's say a person found an animal, but now you got to feed the animal. So now it's going to end up uh, costing, costing money. So therefore, uh, if it's an animal like a cow, so already it can pay for itself because the cow gives milk. So you can sell the milk and, and then therefore pay for the food. So that's okay. Well, let's say a chicken. So a chicken, you can feed it by selling the eggs. So it, it, it maintains itself. But you're not, let's say it's, 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 it's a type of animal that uh, doesn't uh, uh, have any uh, uh, you know, product. They're just going to eat. It's an ox, let's say. So now you got to feed it. You got to feed it. So it's going to cost you money, and you're not allowed to charge the guy. So the, which means you're going to come down and say, okay, here's your ox back. The ox is worth $200. You want you fed in $1,000 worth of stuff. So the guy can say, who, who, who is? I didn't ask for a bill. So therefore, the Torah says, in such a case, you could sell the animal and just give him back the money of the animal. You're not obligated to be out of pocket. Only if the, if, if the lost object sustains itself, so then already you keep it as it is. But if it doesn't, you're able to sell it and then just give him... Um, Give him the money. This is the same law that applies to a person's donkey, to a person's uh, dress. Anything that a person loses, if you found it, you're not allowed to uh, close your eyes to make believe as if you didn't see it. Next one. Let's say you see your uh, friend's donkey or ox, let's say it fell on the road. Torah says, you have an obligation to uh, help him load the donkey, which means, let's say the guy had a, 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 an ox or a donkey that was filled with, uh, you know, groceries or, or different types of packages. And then, you know, as the donkey was walking, so the load fell off. So you have an obligation to stop what you're doing and help your friend load his donkey. A practical case today might be that if you're driving down the block and you see your friend loading his trunk, 
uh, might be a, not a perfect analogy, but it's in the spirit of the Torah that you should uh, help him. And certainly if he's unloading his trunk, you should help him as well. That's the Torah spirit that they want you to help your friend that's, uh, that's in need. And you're not going to give him a bill either. But the Torah says you can help him Hakem takim imo. Imo means with him. That means he has to help. He can't just say, oh, great, you're going to help me uh, uh, um, uh, uh, load my donkey or, or load my trunk. Great. I'm going inside to sleep a little. Tell me when you're done. No, no, no. Hakem takim imo. The law only applies if the owner is willing to help, but he cannot, uh, you know, abandon his uh, responsibilities and just put it on the uh, put it on the help. Fine. I can't take more. Now we have the next law. Now look, look, look how advanced the Torah was. Uh, Torah already is how many thousand? Got this Torah 3,500 years ago. And look what the Torah was talking about then. A lady is not allowed to wear men's clothes. And a man is not allowed to wear ladies' clothes. This is a, this is a true uh, abomination. So this is the law of cross-dressing. They don't want... A, a, a lady to look like a man. And the, the, the logic of this is, of course, if she dresses like a man, so then she's going to go, uh, she's going to get into places where men go. And therefore, um, she's doing it in order to uh, make a sin. So she's dressing up basically like a man and she gets into the places where the men are and then she's going to commit a, um, you know, to commit a immoral behavior. So that's, that's, that's the logic of the Torah over here. But even if it's not going to lead to that. So there's big questions over there. So, questions. Men wear pants. I don't know the subject here, but is pants considered a man's, man's clothes? And therefore, if a lady's wearing pants, are you going to say that out in contempt of the law? And the answer is no. Because the pants that they make for ladies are different. It's a different cut, it's a different style, and therefore that's uh, lady. And the question is, is it, is it modest? That, that, that's, that's a separate pasuk. We didn't get to that pasuk yet. I'm not discussing the modesty of it, we're discussing the uh, uh, the, the cross-dressing element of it, and, uh, and it's not. But then the question would be, uh, you know, uh, the, the Torah is teaching us, uh, is, is a lady allowed to carry a weapon? A weapon is a man's uh, 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 vessel, so to speak. And Chavavad has a big question on ladies allowed to carry guns. So it doesn't just go to uh, uh, clothes, but it goes to different things that men usually carry. Uh, ladies don't, uh, or vice versa. Uh, can a man walk around with a pocketbook? I mean, uh, I mean, today anything goes. So you really can't bring a proof from society. Uh, but these are, these, these are questions. Uh, and not only that, but we learn from here doing different lady practice. Man allowed to dye his hair. Ladies practice, and so on and so forth. Grooming themselves, even looking in a mirror for a man might be a lady's thing to do, it might be a vanity. These are all things that you have to ask your uh, local rabbi, but for sure, um, 
one, one of the people came to me uh, when uh, when I took the job at the yeshiva, and uh, they said, uh, you know, Rabbi, you know, you know that you know you're going to promote modesty and all these things. You know, I'm concerned that you know maybe my daughter is going to only want to wear dresses. His concerns, a regular Syrian guy, you know, he's scared that his daughter, God forbid, might, might wear dresses. That, that, that would be a tragedy of some sort. So he's saying, you know, what are you going to do, Rabbi? My, uh, I don't want my daughter to wear dresses. So I said, I can't guarantee your daughter is going to wear dresses, but I promise you, your son's not going to wear dresses along with the yeshiva. That's, that, that's, that's what you more, you more have to be concerned about today. If you're only worried about your daughter. If your daughter wears a dress, that'll be a blessing. I'm more concerned about your son wearing a dress. Brother, how do we look? How do we look at a place like Scotland that they wear dresses? But, all no, of them. They... I, I think. I think that's. A, I guess you have to say it goes according to the society where they're living. I guess that's well, Scotland. That's what the men wear. Uh-huh. But I don't think we have any Scottish uh, Syrians, so we don't no. have to. <laughs> okay. All right. The There you have it. Long day. We did it. These classes are for the Fuashrima Hayasara Batsimha. Tomorrow night, stay tuned. We got a special edition. We talk about the famous law of shooing the mother bird and taking the uh, the eggs or the chicks. This law of Shiru Hakan. That's tomorrow night. Learning for the Fuashrima Hayasara Batsimha. Fuashrima as well. Yaakov Michael Ben Nidla. And Narifan Nahim Betoh Hole Amoisel Amen. So we're in. We're in the Parashavki uh, Tetzer, and we have a few mitzvot tonight. This Parashah is packed, packed with mitzvot, and we're up to Perek Chav Bet Pasuk Bav Ki Yekare Kan Sipor Lefanecha. So it'll happen where you see a bird's nest, Kan Sipor Baderech on the road. Either on the tree, or on the ground. So you see uh, young birds, eggs. The mother is uh, roosting over the uh, young birds or the eggs. So you're not allowed to take the mother in front of the children. You have to send the mother away. And take the children for yourself. If you do this, it'll be good for you. And you'll have long life. So this is the mitzvah, the very, very beautiful mitzvah called Shiluah Hakan. And this is a mitzvah that we just learned. You see a nest, you see a mother. Torah says you're not allowed to take the mother uh, or the children in front of the mother. You have to send the mother away. And uh, after you send the mother away, then already you're allowed to take the, uh, the children. So... It may be taken to imply that the verse uh, forbids taking the mother first. 
and subsequently taking the young. But if so, the verse would have said, So therefore the Pasuk is coming to tell us that one is not allowed to take uh, the mother on the young, which means one has to first shoo the mother away, as we learned, and then you take the then you take the uh, the children. So I want to talk about this mitzvah a little. First of all, the Torah tells us ki yikare. It happens. You're not allowed to set it up. It means you can't put a nest and put the mother there and put the bird. You can't orchestrate it. It has to be something that just happens naturally. So that's the first thing, ki yikare. Number two, we learn from this mitzvah that if you do it, you're going to get great reward. The Torah says the reward will be long life in this world and great reward in the next world. Now, this is relatively an easy mitzvah. It's not difficult at all. Just shoo the mother away and take the eggs, it's easy. So that she comes along and says that if such an easy mitzvah that's so easily performed, doesn't even cost you any money. And the Torah comes and tells us that you get great reward, long life in this world and the next. So you could imagine how much reward are we going to get for the difficult mitzvot? For the easy mitzvot, you're going to get such a reward. Could you imagine how much reward you're going to get for the difficult reward? Now, there's only one other mitzvah in the Torah that the Torah promises reward in this world or the next, and that is honoring one's parents. And that's a very difficult mitzvah. So you see the Torah comes along and says, the easiest mitzvah is great reward and the most difficult mitzvah. So therefore, we don't know how to judge mitzvot. Therefore, we have to do all of them. And if God is going to reward us even for the easiest of the mitzvot, so certainly we could uh, anticipate that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to reward us for the hard mitzvot that we fulfill. Now, I will tell you a, a story regarding this mitzvah. So last year on Lagba Omer, if you remember, there was a great tragedy where there was a, a stampede of people and they got caught in a, in a tunnel next to the grave of the great Sadiq Rabbi Shimon Bar Yuhai, and there was a breakdown of some sort and they got caught in the tunnel and there was many, many uh, casualties. 45 Sadiqim uh, died at the uh, Meron tragedy on Lagba Omer. And amongst these were great, great Sadiqim uh, and they left uh, children that were Yatomim and they left wives that were almanot, and uh, it was a, you know, a catastrophe of the highest order. I was in contact uh, at the time. We took it very, very to heart, this tragedy, and I accepted upon myself to raise money for the for the children, for the families yeah. that lost you know, their fathers and so on and so forth to take care of the children. So we started to raise money. We made a campaign 
and we raised about a quarter of a million dollars. And I then had a rabbi in Israel make me a list of all the victims and how many children they have, etc. And we figured out following different formulas to make it, you know, fair. And we divvied out money to all the families, to all the 45 families. Wow. And uh, we sent it to them and every one of the families got a respectable amount of money. And I sent them a letter. I said, listen, you don't know me. I'm just, uh, you know, a Jew from New York. And, uh, you know, we want to show that we, we commiserate, we feel your pain. Uh-huh. And obviously we can't bring back your loss, but a check. 25,000, 30,000, 50,000, whatever it is, each one. And uh, they were very, very, very shocked. What, a Jew in New York is uh, just sending us money like this. We don't even know who these people are. And uh, the, so the story was, it was in um, uh, about the, the, the tragedy happened in Lagba Omer. So by the time we raised all the money and we wrote the checks, it was for the one-year York site. I was, in my house in, I was in my house in Brooklyn. It was a Saturday night. And uh, I wrote the 45 checks or whatever it was. And I had handed them over to a, a rabbi that was going to be my messenger to deliver the checks. And I was very, very happy with this mitzvah. I felt that it was a big zechut that Hashem brought to us. So I said to the rabbi that was with me, we were just two people. I said, now it's Saturday night, we should make Malabim Malka. We should have the, you know, the fourth seuda. And we took out, I opened up a bottle of wine as to celebrate the fact that this mitzvah came to us. Uh, when you get a zikhut to do a mitzvah, you have to be appreciative that God brought this mitzvah to you. Mm-hmm. So I felt very, very fortunate that we were able to be part of this unique mitzvah. And we had Malave Malka, and we lifted up the cup of wine, and we said to each other, you know, Hazak Baruch, this is a big thing. And we're very, very happy that Hashem uh, gave us uh, the opportunity to succeed. And we finished, and we said some Debre Torah on the table, of course. And then, then we made Birkat Amazon. Now it was about one o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden, the phone rings, my phone rings. It's not uncommon that the rabbi's phone rings at all hours of the night. So that wasn't really the uh, surprising part of the story. Surprising part of the story was that I picked it up. Usually I don't pick up my phone that time of night. But we were up already. We were all in a good mood. And the, uh, the guy gets on the phone and says, Rabbi Mansur, I don't know if you were. He said, uh, Rabbi Mansur, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, I said, uh, no, who's calling? He said his name. He said, you met me about a year ago. And I told you that I go around Brooklyn looking for birds' nests in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Shilua Hakan. And you said to me that uh, if I ever find one, please call me. And uh, you know, you were interested in fulfilling this mitzvah. Well, I have good news for you. I just located one on Avenue P. Are you, are you up to go do this mitzvah? So I said to myself, look at this, how Hashem now rewarded us on, this, on the night that we wrote the checks 
to take care of God's children. Borei uh, Olam now brought us this mitzvah of Shiloh Hakan. We got in the car. I closed it and I put and I, it was just here somewhere between here and the kitchen. Guys, mute the phone. So anyway, we drove to Avenue P about one o'clock in the morning, and the rabbi was there, and he has a ladder, and he said, There it is. Sure enough, right under the awning. You see a big bird, and it's, uh, it's just uh, you know, hovering over its uh, its little chicks. So I climbed up on the ladder. We read the different pesukim that you're supposed to read before you do the scrape mitzvah, and then we shoot away the mother bird with a stick. And then all of a sudden, it was small, like three or four little chicks, warm, very warm. You know, because the mother's hovering over it, sitting on it, and then we picked up the chicks. And we came down and we were very, very excited that look at this one mitzvah led to another mitzvah. What are the odds the night that we fulfilled this great mitzvah to take care of the tzaddikim of Meron, that Shem delivered us on the silver platter, this great mitzvah called Shiloh Hakan. So I said to the rabbi, okay, now with these little chicks, what do we do with them? So he said, well, now it's two o'clock in the morning. He says, well, there's a shohet that's a very big expert that knows how to slaughter these little chicks. And you can take now the meat and you make a, make a dinner, make a chicken. It's a big sigula to eat the meat. Where are we going to find the shohet at two o'clock in the morning? We called the guy. He was just coming home from wherever he was. We went to his house. We went into his room over there. He put a uh, plastic on the table and he made shahita on these three chicks and then his wife the rabbi's wife prepared it for us in a special way and the next day we picked it up and we were able to fulfill this mitzvah in the perfect way exactly the way the Torah wants us to fulfill it and this is a uh, a great lesson that we learn over here that the greatest reward that a person can get from God for doing a mitzvah is that he will now give you another mitzvah. The Mishnah says, Skar mitzvah, mitzvah. The greatest reward for mitzvah is a mitzvah. And look at that. We, it took us a year mm. that we were involved in this mitzvah of taking care of the little children, either the ones that passed away or the families that left little children. And Hashem now, as if he was communicating to us and said, that even though I shoot away the mother, I shoot away the, you know, the adult, but here, take care of the children. And we took the little chicks and we were able to fill this, fulfill this mitzvah. It was one of the most uh, exciting moments because we know it's a very, very rare mitzvah. And the Torah comes and tells us over here that if you do this mitzvah, it's going to lead to some good things. Now let's read the next pasuk. Torah says, if you'll have the merit to build a new house. Rabbi, can I ask, does it have to only be a kosher bird? Yes. Only kosher, okay. Yes, and 
and Benny, it was kosher. Kosher bread. Right. And like I said, we had, we actually ate the, uh, ate the chicks. It was uh, something wow. amazing. What are the odds? A rabbi calls you one o'clock in the morning right after you fulfill this great mitzvah. That's sometimes Hashem talks to you in different ways. He's talking to us. How is God going to say, Hazak Baruch? How is he going to say, I'm happy what you did? Right, so right. he brings you this, this item. Come, it never happens in the middle of the night. Guy calls you up and says, I found the Shalu Hakan on Avenue Peak. If it was a regular night, I probably would have been sleeping. I would have missed the phone call. I would have been here. We were up. And now we were up. We were dressed in Shabbat clothes. And we were, you know, gung home to do it. So all the Are there many? Are, are there, there many birds that are kosher? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a pigeon. It's a regular, regular pigeon's uh, kosher. Okay, okay. It wasn't, uh, no, 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 it wasn't an exotic bird. It was just a regular pigeon. But a dove or a pigeon, whatever it was. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was really incredible. We have videos of the, of the event. You can imagine. Maybe one day we'll, we'll show it to the members over here. Thank you. But the Torah says that, now this, this, this guy, He's in Brooklyn. I have to find his name. I give it to the members. You put your name on the list, and when he when he locates them, he calls you. And the guy's a sitting. He doesn't ask for any money. He doesn't want any. That's his mitzvah. He just goes around locating them. Now they can't be on uh, private property. It has to be in in the public domain. So usually oh, they find it usually under the L. You know where the trains are. Usually they have they they they, they, they the birds build their nests. Uh, you know, in that area over there. So, um, wow. Okay. That's Thank you. Was. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, Mitzvah. And and that's the first time I've fulfilled it. I've fulfilled it then. So, I mean, again, 53 years I never did that Mitzvah. And the night that we did that other Mitzvah, Meron, we got this Mitzvah. I believe that there's a strong connection. But the Torah says, that if you fulfill this mitzvah, God will marry you to build a house. Yeah. He'll build a new house. Now, because that's the next connection. The Torah says, if you build a new house, so then already you have to build a parapet. The parapet is a gate on the roof so nobody falls off the roof. Basically, it's a, it's a safety law. When you build a house, you have to make sure you have railings. You have to make sure you know that nobody could fall off the ledge and things like that. So you have to build fences around the roof in the different areas. You should not cause blood to be spilled in your house. Like Sakana. Exactly. Exactly. Now, um, I, I don't want to talk so much, but what I was saying, what does this got to do building a house? Because they say, if you marry to do Shiloh Hakan, God will bring you another mitzvah. And what's the mitzvah? To build a parapet. Kitab Nebayit Hadash. So that's that's the reward. And um, I, must, uh, I must say that that mitzvah came to me to a, a, a smaller degree. I was living in my house for... I don't know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years. And we love the house. You live in the house. That's it. And all of a sudden, uh, over the over the last uh, year, after I did the Shlua Hakan, Hashem gave us the ability to make some adjustments in the house. 
I think major, we can build a new house. We just change some certain things, but for us, it's a big thing. So I believe that Hashem brought this, this, this mitzvah came true. We built, you know, we were able to make uh, suitable renovations. And the Torah says that when you build, make these renovations, make sure you build it safely. And it says, because you don't want anybody to fall, God forbid, in the house. Now, the Pasuk literally means that the one who falls shall fall from it. Now, that Rashi is issued, bothered by a question. I mean, until the person falls, he's not called a faller. Why does the Pasuk say, So that she says that God forbid that whenever something happens to a person, it was destined to happen to him. Meaning this person was supposed to fall. So he's called the nofel. Even before, you know, you, you built this house in, an un, in, a, in a dangerous way, he was going to fall. That's, that's the gizera was on him. But the question is, why did Hashem make him fall on your prophet? He could have fell anywhere. He was going to fall. In Shemaim, there was a gezerah on this guy. He's going to fall. And he's going to die, God forbid. Why on your property? So that she tells us a big hedush. That sometimes worthy things happen through worthy people. And sometimes God makes detrimental things happen through guilty people. That means the person whose house this tragedy happened must have been guilty for something. And therefore God brought uh, this tragedy to be on his property. He was going to die anyway. That's why the person says, he was a no-fail anyway. He was going to be no-fail either here or somewhere else. But Hashem brought it to this person because he also deserves a punishment that such a tragedy should happen. Basically, lesson of here is what I was teaching us. You have to make sure you build your homes safely. Then the next pasuk, the Torah says, that you're not allowed to plant in a vineyard. And the Gemara says again, if you did the Mitzvah Shiloh HaKan, God will give you zechut that you'll end up having a garden. Now, again, I don't want to talk so much, but 53 years, I never had a garden. Right after I did Shiloh HaKan, somebody came to me uh, in deal and said, Rabbi, do you want me to plant you a garden? I said, why are you coming to me and asking me to plant? I said, I don't know. I'm planting a garden to you for your neighbor. And maybe uh, I could plant you a small garden. Sure enough, he planted me a garden. Exactly like the Torah says, this mitzvah will lead to the mitzvah of building a house in a safe way. And that mitzvah will lead, your God will reward you, you'll have a garden. And the next pasuk comes along and tells us about the laws of Shatnez. That what? Shatnez is that when you have clothes, you have to make sure that there's not a woolen linen blend. And as she says, in the zikhut of this mitzvah, it will lead that God will give you not only a house, not only will you get a garden, but God will give you nice clothes. Shortly thereafter that, one of the members of our congregation came along and brought me three suits and two pair of shoes. So 
I said, look at that. It's exactly what the Torah said. Shiluh Hakan, renovation of a house, planting a garden, and new clothes. Things that never happened to me before. So I'm a living proof that the Torah is emet. I saw these things uh, happen. I mean, it cannot be a coincidence. Things that, these things never happened before, and they happen in the sequence that the Torah says. Now, of course, you know, we don't do the mitzvot because of the, the perks that we get, but there's definitely perks and there's definitely benefits. But the, the lesson that I want to impart tonight is that that is the greatest reward that Hashem can give us for anything that we do, another opportunity to serve Him. Another mitzvah, and there was once, I'll conclude, there was once a great rabbi called uh, Rav, uh, Rav Meir Shapiro. He was the chief rabbi of the Yeshiva Hachmel Lublin in Poland. There's Yeshiva Hachmel Lublin. He built a big Yeshiva, 500 students and a tremendous, tremendous uh, bastion of Torah. And when they inaugurated the Yeshiva, one of the rabbis got up and said that this is clearly a great zechut that Rabbi Shapiro has for building such a Yeshiva. But my question is, what zechut did he do before this, to merit to get this zikut. The rabbi wanted to know what mitzvah did he do prior to building the yeshiva that God merited him to get the yeshiva. That's, that's the way that the, the tzaddikim look at things. That if, if, if God brings you to a great opportunity to do a mitzvah, the question then is, what did you do to earn this mitzvah? In my case, I know exactly what, I, what we did to earn the mitzvah of Shiluh Hakam. This mitzvah was generated from the money that we gave to the victims of Meron. Therefore, mitzvah, mitzvah. And that's the best, uh, like I said, the best uh, payback that Hashem could give you to just give you a, a string of mitzvah that we're able to, the king is, is, is happy with your service, so he gives you another errand. I trust this guy. Okay, give him another errand. Let him, let him, let him fulfill something else. That's a sign of uh, affection and endearment. Okay? That's the mitzvah tonight. And you got also a, uh, a story. I never told that story before, but now uh, now you heard it live first. Okay? And we're in Parashat Kitetse, and we're up to Pasuk Yud Gimal. So the pasuk reads like this: Ki yikach ish isha. Okay, guy married a lady. Uba'eleha. He was with her. Usnea. And then he comes to hate her. Okay, that's not so good. So the pasuk says, "Vesam la alilo alilot devarim," and he puts rumors on her. What's the rumors that he puts on her? He puts a bad name on her. I married this lady. I was with her. And I did not uh, find that she has betulim, that she was not a virgin. So therefore, basically, he's saying that 
she committed an avera. That means he's claiming that after he got engaged, she must, and therefore she committed adultery because once a person gets engaged and she goes with another man, that's considered adultery. So therefore, this man is claiming that he was with her. She did not have Bitudin. She did not have uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Bitudin, as we say. And he's coming to Bedin and making this claim over here. So now the Pasuk says, Velakah aviya na'ara ve'ima ve'otziyu now, uh, the Torah says that the, the father of the girl and the mother, they take the, um, the sheet and they show the Bedin that actually she was a Betula. I guess they went back to the room and they found the sheet and they're able to prove it that she was a betula. So it says uh, they take it to the, to the the city in front of the gates of the city with a betin is. And uh, the Torah comes along and says that um I gave my daughter to such a to such a man, the Isha, and obviously Baisnae doesn't like her. And basically he's spreading rumors. He's spreading rumors about my daughter. He placed rumors on her and said, that I didn't find your daughter that she's a virgin. Here's the betula. She shows the sheet. So that she says, That either he actually shows the sheet, or he could prove it. He could prove it that she was. Could you get your clothes ready so in the morning we could go? Rabbits, rabbits, rabbits. Sorry. So the, the she, she proves she the, the father can prove it either by showing the cloth or by giving other proofs that she actually was a bit and that this guy was lying. So the Pasuk says, Guys, you have to mute your phone, please. So the uh, people of the city, they take the guy who was bad-mouthing the girl, the Yisiru Oto. Yisiru Oto, as she said, they give him Malkut. They give him
Lefara, we learned in Ketubot and Tafmevav, tells us that there's two, two different Pesukim that they learn why he should get punished. Either Pasuk says, That's just for those that are learning Ketubot. Fine. And they also punish him in addition to punishment. What's that? He has to pay a hundred coins, silver coins. And who does he give those coins to? A Jewish girl. Here's the wild part of it. And he has to marry her. Now he has to stay with her for the rest of his life. Because he was lying. And now, again, if she doesn't want to stay married to him, she doesn't have to, but if she wants to stay married, because she'll get supported, he has to stay married to her and He's not allowed to divorce her. He has to live without. Rabbi, why one hundred? Why one hundred coins, not two hundred? Like for Betula is two hundred, no? But yes, Betula is because uh, he's only he's only making her lose a hundred because she would still get a hundred. Ah, okay. Normally, a Betula gets two hundred, and a non-Betula gets a hundred. So basically, he's trying to discount her 100. She'll always get the 100. So therefore, he has to pay the 100. So the Torah says, but what if it's true? Let's say they could prove that she committed adultery uh, before she got married, in between the engagement and the marriage. So the Pasuk says, If actually they found it to be truthful, and they did not find that she got, uh, you know, that, that, that she, she was not a virgin. So the pasuk says, how can you prove that with witnesses? Witnesses came and actually said, yeah, we know for a fact she was with a man in between. So now, so they take the girl in front of our father's house. And the Torah says that they stone her. And the Gemara says, why do they take her in front of her father's house to stone her? So the Gemara in Ketubot again, and that's men here. Says that as if we're telling them, this is your you know, partly your fault. Because look what you did over me. You raised such a... Uh, a doubt. She not me, Huh? And they stone her to death. Because that's the punishment of a girl that commits adultery. Uh, and you will 
eradicate the evil from your midst. Now the Torah says, Okay, this is uh, PG-13 tonight, about time. If you have a, a, a man that is sleeping with a married, married lady, that can't be good. So that's called adultery. So the Torah says, Umetu gam Both of them are put to death. So that's uh, obviously only if they actually had a relation. But if they were just together outside of relation, there's no death penalty. I mean, they're not obviously, you know, one of the love of Dikim if they're doing that, but they don't get a uh, they don't get a death penalty only if they actually committed the actual. Uh, act as she says this. Fine. Wow, and that she says a big hadush over here. That the person says that you kill both of them. What is it coming to tell me you kill both of them? Let's say she got pregnant. Well, then you can't kill her because you're not. Both of them, you're killing three of them. So, therefore, you don't just birth. Because, again, we have a pasuk that teaches us you can't kill both. Okay, one more pasuk. Ki ye na'ara betula. Orasa, you have a girl that's engaged, the ish. Umatsa ish ba'ir. Oh, there's another case. A guy found this engaged girl, the shachav ima, and he went with her. This is talking about over here. Rabbis say, because she went out to the city, if she would have stayed at home, this wouldn't have happened. But because she was already went out, the the hole calls the thief. That means when a girl goes out and doesn't act in the modest way, if somebody does something, to, of course, that man is guilty, but she also has some blame because what did you go out for to entice somebody? Not putting the full blame on the girl, obviously, but she has to also make a calculation not to entice. Anyway, she was taking advantage of this girl over here. So the Torah says, we will see what Shinehem. Oh, now, she went willingly, it sounds like. So the Torah says, we will see what Shinehem and Shinehem and Shinehem. We take both of them to the city. And you stone them to death. Because again, she was engaged. So if she gave, she went with a man, that's adultery. If she would have screamed, that would have been shown us that was by that she was being taken by force. The fact that she didn't scream shows us that she did it willingly. And therefore, <laughs> is, it it willingly. In, 
Is it done huh? in public, Rabbi? Is it done in public? That they kill her. They kill her in public. In public. In the gates of the Beit so everybody sees it. So that's that's that law over there. This is only done because this is during the Beit Hamikdash days only, Rabbi. Oh, I mean, oh yeah. Well, we don't we don't kill anybody today, but it's still it's still it's still a sin from the Torah. But yes, we don't have a court that's uh, qualified to give death sentences today. Hi, but in the hi. older days, yes, in the older days, if a person would commit this type of act, it's punishable by uh, by death. That's right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's a little uh, little something for tonight. We do this for the question of Mahaya Sarah God willing, we'll continue this tomorrow night on uh, stable ground. In the meantime, we wish all our members squishing about the For the question of Mahaya Sarah when we're in the Parasha Kitetzeh, long Parasha, and um, we are up to a. Uh, well, we'll start from Pasuk. Uh, Chapter 23. So the Torah says a person is not allowed to, to marry the wife of his father. It's not talking about marrying his mother, but let's say his father gets married to another lady and then uh, they get divorced. He cannot marry the um, wife that his father was married to. So what uh, she comes along and says that um, it's not only talking about his wife, but it's even talking about a lady that felt he boomed to the father. Say the father was, uh, uh, the father had a brother and the brother died. So the brother's wife falls to this father as he boom. And let's say, uh, they never consummated it. Let's say they made halitza. So the law is that the son cannot marry even the girl that fell to his father, uh, to Yibum. So that's um, that's what's coming to teach us over here. And then the Torah says, Lo yavo daka so these are different types of people that are not permissible to come into the congregation. We're not allowed to marry into us. So somebody that has um, his private parts are crushed or uh, severed. So basically, obviously, you cannot have children. And the Torah says that those type of people are forbidden to come into the congregation. Furthermore, the Torah says, So a mamzer uh, is a... Um, that's a, a child that's born from an illicit relation. For example, let's say somebody committed adultery and had a child. So that child is called Mamzer. And the Torah says that Mamzerim are not allowed to come into the congregation. So therefore, they can only marry each other. A Mamzer can marry a Mamzeret. But a Mamzer cannot marry a regular Israel. And they never become kosher. Even 10 generations, the Torah says, they still uh, remain uh, forbidden. Uh, furthermore, 
the Torah says, Lo yavo amoni It's two nations also that are on the uh, blacklist that cannot marry into the Jewish people. And that's converts that come from the nation called Amon and converts that come from the nation called uh, Moab. They're not allowed to marry uh, into the people. And the Torah gives the reason. Even 10 generations they're forbidden later. The reason is, we left Egypt. They didn't come out and greet us with uh, bread and water. Uh, they didn't even sell it to us. They wouldn't, uh, they had no hospitality towards us, even though we're willing to pay for it. And even though uh, their father was Lot, and our father, Abraham, saved their father, Lot, so they should have gratitude. But they didn't. So they didn't greet us and give us food when we came out of Mitzrayim. And second sin, if you remember, it was the Moabi people that hired Bil'am bin Be'or. And uh, obviously they hired him to curse. Hashem did not listen to Bil'am ultimately. God turned the curse into blessing. Hashem because Hashem loves us. Now regarding uh, regarding this, the pasuk says, "Lot drosh shelomam vetovatam," that uh, we're not allowed to seek their peace, which means we cannot make peace with these two nations over here. Uh, and the Torah says, The next pasuk says, "Lot taev adomi," so we're not allowed to abhor. A Adomi, Edomite, which means uh, even though it's appropriate for us to hate the guy because the Edomi people, that's uh, Esav. And uh, they also came out with a sword to greet us. So we should really have animosity towards them. But the Torah says that we're not allowed to have because ultimately he is your brother. Esav is the brother of Yaakov. So therefore, we're not allowed to uh, hate him. And therefore, if an Adomi, let's say, converts, they're allowed to marry into the nation. We don't have an abomination against Egyptian converts as well. Because after all, we were uh, convert, we were uh, strangers in their, in their nation. We lived in their nation. Now, even though, I mean, they weren't such hospitable uh, hosts, they threw our boys in the Nile River Um but bottom line, they gave us uh, a place to live. So the Torah is teaching us gratitude over that, even though it wasn't a, you know, a hospitable place to live, but nonetheless, it was a place where we lived. So we have to have gratitude to the Egyptians. So if they convert right away, uh, they were accepted. We don't, uh, we don't hesitate. However, the Torah does say, dor so the Egyptian converts are forbidden to come into the congregation generation one and generation two. Once you get to generation three, then they're permissible to come into the congregation. So Mamzid is forbidden forever. Amon, forbidden forever. Moab, forbidden forever. Edom can convert, no problem. And when it comes to Mitzri, Egyptians, it's a, it's a three generation uh, until they become mainstreamed. And uh, what do you see from over here? You see from over here that uh, a, a lesson that she says, that somebody that tries to kill us is 
not as bad as somebody that tries to cause us uh, to sin. Because over here you have the Edomi people, which is Esav tried to physically kill us, and you have the Egyptians that physically killed us, and they're permissible to come into the congregation. And um, but when it comes to um, but regarding let's say Moab, Moab caused us to sin. That's a big lesson. The, the lesson that she's trying to tell us over here is what, what is a bigger danger? Somebody that tries to kill us physically or somebody that tries to kill us spiritually? So the lesson you learn from this parasha is that somebody that tries to kill us spiritually is worse. And what's the proof? Because even though the Egyptians were physically cruel to us, we're allowed to marry into them. Even though the Edomi people were physically cruel to us, we can marry into them. But Moab, they were spiritually cruel to us because if you remember, they brought the Zonot, the prostitutes, and caused the Jewish people to sin. And that's a spiritual sin. And we also worshipped Abu Dazara. That's a spiritual sin. And that's why they're banned forever. So that's a, a, a great lesson. Greater is the one that causes his friend to sin than causes his friend uh, physical harm. Now the Torah tells us if you're going to uh, go out to war against uh, against your enemy, so Torah says whenever the Jewish people are going out to war, they have to be careful of everything because during the time of war, the Satan is mekatreg. That means the Satan is um, uh, uh, prosecutes. It's a general rule that she teaches us that. Whenever you're in a dangerous situation, it's a time of prosecution. Because the Satan sees already we're in danger, so he's, uh, it's easy for him to just to tip the scale against us and, God forbid, uh, something could happen. That's why the Torah says you're never allowed to put yourself in a dangerous situation because it can cause judgments to come upon a person. So the Torah is telling us that even when a Jew's in war, you have to be careful because, again, you're to sekana. So now the Torah says... Uh, let's say a person is not pure let's say he had a seminal discharge so he has to leave the camp which means the Torah comes and tells us that uh, there's a positive commandment that we must send out the ritually impure people out of the camp and uh, he's not allowed to enter uh, there's two camps that we have one is that's the inner one and then around that, it's called Mahane Levia. He's got to leave that also. So the, the Baal Kedi, the seminal discharge guy, has got to leave two camps. And then the Torah says, uh, That evening, Yerhatz, Bamaim will go to the Mikveh. Once sunset comes, And then he can come back into the, uh, into the Mahane. So again, he goes to the Mikveh during the day. And he waits till sunset or the stars come out, and then already he is good to go. Here the Torah is telling us that um, we should have a prepared place uh, outside the camp. And what is that prepared place uh, uh, to do? So as she says, uh, it is in order that a person. Uh, will be able to relieve himself like a bathroom because they're in the desert so they have a place uh, over there that they can 
believed himself, Yatzat Hashem Ahutz, V'yated, T'yelecha la'azenecha, you should have a shovel in addition to your weaponry, because again, he needs a shovel to dig the hole, uh, so besides his sword, he needs a shovel, V'hafarta ba, and you will dig, V'shavta v'chisita tzedek, and you will cover your excrement. I mean, look at how they lived in those days. They had to carry a shovel with them, just in order to be prepared, in case they had to go to the bathroom, they have to dig, dig a hole. And after they dig the hole, they have to cover it. So that was uh, you know, the old uh, old fashion. God is amongst you, and for your camp has to be holy. Famous pasuk that God says, uh, if I see uh, immorality amongst you, God says, I turn away from you. This is a very important so People don't realize it. They think that immodesty is just, okay, I'm being stylish, but the Torah says, if I see immorality and immodesty, Veshav, I, I can't stay in such a place. So it, it causes God actually to be uh, uh, to be sent away. A lesson to us again, that if we want the protection of Hashem, we have to be uh, modest. The Pasuk is telling us straight away. It, it chases away the uh, Shekhinah, and there's no blessing. So the opposite is also true. That when there's modesty and morality and decency, so the Shekhinah feels comfortable. And when the Shekhinah is amongst us, then Mr. Shui could uh, you know, bank on it that we're going to have a lot of blessing. Okay. Stop over here at Botai. We had a good week. Thank God we missed. We didn't miss a night. We did every night. Um, maybe we missed one night. I'm not sure. And But nonetheless, we have uh, a, a beautiful parashiot coming up. We wish our members Shabbat Shalom and Vorach. And uh, everything should be good.